<laughs> How many of you guys saw her whisper something to me and I covered the mic? Some things you just keep personal. I love you guys this morning. Welcome to the Driven Church. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 9, verse 1 and 1 through 12 is what we're going to be looking at today. And listen, I can see you guys this morning. I got some new glasses. Uh, my my uh, uh, prescription has been somewhat uh, um, elevated. So uh, uh, I, can, I can see almost all the way back to the back row. So uh, I'm feeling a little better this morning. <laughs> I would like to say to some of you, you look better this morning, but I've got glasses on that work, so I'm not lying this morning. Hey, Exodus chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Uh, we're going to double down today. we got two plagues we're going to talk about today. And that's in 12 verses. That's, you know, that seems like a, that's a lot going on in 12 verses, right? Two plagues. And uh, so uh, turn with me there to Exodus 9, 1 through 12. If you're ready, we'll read this. Let's just pray right now over this word. Father, in Jesus' name, we're about to read your word, the word that changes our lives. And so, Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. May we see the hidden thing. May we see the thing that rests on the surface. May we see everything that it is that you want us to see this morning. May that thing become you know, a nourishment, Lord, to our hearts, our minds, our soul. May you come alive this morning in us through your word. We need that. I need that. Guard your word, Lord, from the tampering of men's hands that it might be spoken clearly without an offense to you not pushing for one's agenda, just your agenda. It's in Jesus' name I pray and ask this. Amen. Let's read this. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, Tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of, e of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take, a, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out on the people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air and festering boils broke out on the people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. All right, kind of let's we'll rush up to this to kind of get a, a sense of where we're at. Uh, this is the fifth plague, right? You guys are with me? This is the fifth plague. The first four plagues, the first being... The blood in uh, the Nile. Remember this? He, he turns the, the water into blood. The second was the frogs. The third uh, uh, was the gnats, uh, what we refer to as lice. Uh, we'll call it gnats this morning so it won't uh, 
confuse anyone. And then the fourth was uh, the plague of flies, or what uh, we alluded to last week uh, as beetles. And uh, so this is now the fifth plague. And so let's look at this because there's some important things that just kind of rest here that differentiates each one of these plagues from the previous plague. Sometimes it's just a heightened elevation of the plague, a heightened impact of the plague where God is starting to become more and more forceful. So this is what the scripture says right there. We're going to look at this. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, now this is something that has never, this term has never been addressed or used to address Pharaoh up to this point. He says, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. When it says the God of the Hebrews, it's actually a term, Elohim Havrim. And it means, it literally means the God of those who have crossed over. Because that's what the term Hebrew means, means to cross over. So what he is saying right here, what he's identifying himself as, he's, he's using a term to uh, identify himself as the God who protects and provides for those who have crossed over to him. These are the descendants of Abraham, right? And so he identifies himself uh, along with these people who have had this transition in their, in their heritage, in their life. These are people who have crossed over, much like you and I have crossed over from death to life in Jesus, right? We too are, are basically, as the scripture says, grafted in to this promise that God had given to Abraham. We are in a very, very real sense individuals who have literally crossed over. We have been brought over via the cross, right? God identifies them as such and is establishing with these Hebrews and in the, in the hearing of Pharaoh that I am the God. He actually uses, he actually, in, uh, uh, if, if, you, if you go back, uh, and when they recognize God's uh, action on behalf of the Hebrews when the magician says is the finger of God the term that they had used uh, to recognize the finger of God was Elohim the term that he's using right here is the term Jehovah meaning the, the all existent one the all powerful one right here that's who he's saying he's identifying him, himself at this moment and then this is what he says he says go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. So right here at this moment, he's establishing himself to be this God, God who protects, provides. And I'm telling you to a great extent, each and every day of your life, each and every day of my life, this is something that I have to be reminded of, Right? that I am part of God's people and God has a vested interest in my life and there's a vested interest in providing for me and protecting me. And sometimes you and I, we get caught in the waves of life and we feel like we're just being tossed to and fro and we're just subject to everything when in reality there's a God who has already placed himself in your life and in my life through our relationship with Christ and he is saying, I'm working on your behalf to provide and to protect. I could literally, you could text me that truth every morning and I would open that text up and celebrate the reality of that because each and every day I would need to hear that. I love what the scripture says. Psalms 34 verses 79 says this, talking about providing, talking about protecting. It says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Okay, I fear God. Do you fear God? You should. And he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. You, 
there's only certain situations in our life when we need refuge. You understand the dynamic of what refuge implies, right? It says, fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Lack nothing. Then Romans 8, 31, it says, what then shall we say in response to these things? What things is he talking about? He's talking about all things working to the good of them that love God and called according to his purpose. He then goes on to say, what then shall we say in response to these things? That God is working all this out for us? If God is for us, who then can be against us? Right? These are biblical truths that you and I should be anchoring our hearts in. And God is, is uh, uh, availing himself to Pharaoh at this moment to be this God. All right? And then this is what he says to Pharaoh. Now I want you to get this. Please get this. He says, if you refuse to let them go, and, and if you continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock, in the field, on your horses, donkeys, camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. I love what he says right here, what he's implying right here in this scripture. He says, if you, he's addressing Pharaoh at this very moment as being the source of the resistance. This is what he says. He says, if you refuse, if you continue to hold them back. I mean, he does not mince words with this. He's addressing the source of the resistance and he identifies it as you. Let me say this for an app right here, for an application for you guys. Whenever I discover, whenever the revelation comes to me, whenever my blinded eyes are open enough to see that there is resistance in my life directed towards God, sometimes, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? You've been there where, you know, God is moving and it's not quite the way you want God to move and you kind of, you know, you kind of bump up against God, you kind of resist God. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, there's four or five of us in here that know what I'm talking about. But listen, the thing that I've come to learn is that when this resistance to God avails itself in my life, I've learned not to look so far out of myself for the cause of the resistance. One of the things I have a tendency to do, the, the majority of the time, Jessica, is when I sense this resistance, I start doing a little self-examination. You know what I'm talking about? I start looking inward. I start asking, what is it that I, I'm not worried about what, what Janine is doing and whether or not that's affecting my relationship. I'm not worried about what Ben is doing, whether that's affecting my relationship. They have a limited impact on my relationship with God and the intimacy that I have. What I, what I ask, what I question, Carl, is what am I doing that is generating resistance in my life towards God? And I believe that if we're honest about that, and we open ourselves out, just like God directs this, this revelation to Pharaoh, God will point it out to you too, like he does me so often. Hey, Trent, it's you again. <laughs> you know, that's the great revelation in my life from God. It's you again. <laughs> You know, I'm, told, I'm telling you, if you have an ear to hear, I'm telling you, Reuben, you will hear this same revelation. If you listen to God and you really search it out, God, and you want him to open up your heart, you really want him to make some deep revelations in your life, Reuben, you'll hear God say, hey, Reuben, it's you. You know what I'm talking about? And at that moment, whenever he speaks that truth in our life, then we're accountable. We're going to have to make it, we're going to have to respond to God and this truth in our lives. Now what you and I have a tendency to do is to kind of project that stuff out there. If my boss wasn't so crazy, I could walk closer to God. You know what I'm talking about? If, if my wife wasn't so, so picky about this, that, and another, I, 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 could, I could be a better follower of Jesus. If, if my kids would only listen to me, man, I, I would be tight with my relationship with God. But my kids, my wife, and my boss have my life all jacked up. I can't get close to God. There's too much resistance. And those cats have got to get it straightened out. Otherwise, I'm never going to have the intimacy that I need with God. 
Let me say this to you. Just a reality. If you're waiting for all these exterior influences to align themselves perfectly in your life so that you can become intimate and close to God, you're going to be waiting to the very end of all things. You're going to have to discover and find a way to achieve intimacy with God regardless if the rest of the world around you is in utter chaos or not. You, God says to Pharaoh, if you refuse to let them go, if you continue to hold them back, this is what he says. This is what he says. And I, and I love that. I love, let, let me say this to you real quick because it's a, it's a, great, it's a great term and, and it's a great uh, distinction right here in, in the wording that is actually used. He says the word hold, the word hold right there, it is the exact same Hebrew word, kazak, which means to strengthen. Remember? So when the scripture says at times God hardened his heart, it is this same word. So when he's saying, as long as you continue to hold them, or as long as you continue to strong arm them, as long as you, he says, if you do not, if you do not uh, let them go, and if you continue to strong arm my people, this is the outcome. This is what's going to happen. Now listen, there's a beautiful, there's a beautiful picture of the mercy and the grace of God. There is the if clause involved here. Do you see the out? He's giving him the out, Jay. And then this is what he says. The hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your life. Now remember, it was the finger of Elohim, wasn't it? Now it's the hand of Jehovah. Now it's the hand. That finger, remember I said that finger is attached to a hand? that is attached to the strong arm of the Lord. That's what he says right here. He says, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague. The, the Hebrew for the word terrible literally means heavy. He's saying to them, this plague that's coming, this thing's heavy, man. It is heavy. But I've given you an out. Bring a terrible plague on your livestock and your field. And he goes through the horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt. Now this is the, the sovereign hand of God, right? The precision of the plague itself. The precision, the calculated precision of God to distinguish between your cow and my cow. Right? My goat, your goat. That God not only knows you, but he knows what belongs to you rightfully. Do you not realize that? That's an amazing thought, isn't it, Reuben? He knows when to protect your stuff, the stuff he's provided for you, and the stuff that needs to be judged and measured out. And then this is, this is what he says. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. Now listen, I can, I can show you a couple of the, the gods or the goddesses of Egypt who uh, God is addressing at this, at this moment. One of them being Hathor, the goddess. And she has this cow head. It's, it's an odd image. And the other is Apis, which is a bull god. But I would, I would show you a picture of that. But I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be really honest with you. Hathor, the goddess with the cow head, you can't find a suitable picture to put it up here. You know what I'm talking about? If I threw something on here, you, you guys would have me arrested. And I say that just to say the image isn't family friendly. And so God is, God is demonstrating right here their lack of ability to sustain the livestock against his purposes. Once again, striking a blow at the trunk of the deities of Egypt. Man, before it's all said and done, they're all going to tip over. They're top heavy. 
that's shallow at the root. And he's chopping them down. And so the scripture goes on. Let's look at this. And the Lord set a time and said, Tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. Let me use this phrase. Our God is the Lord of the clock. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about just, just the global clock. I'm not talking about the clock that measures and references the events of history. I'm talking about the clock, not just there, but the clock of your own life. And he's demonstrating control and influence. Even in, in the time when seconds and minutes and, and days and weeks and months are measured. And he says, tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. This week I, I had to preach a funeral Tuesday. And I'll I tell you, Jay, Larry was there. I walked outside of this little parlor as I was preparing and the, the, uh, 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 the pallbearers were, were coming in with me and they had a seated and I turned around and I saw the group of people that had gathered there, two or three hundred people wasn't there Larry, wouldn't you say? The place was absolutely packed all the way back through there. And I'm preaching the funeral of a gentleman named Mark Hatcher, many of you know Pooh Hatcher. And I had just talked to him the previous Friday. And he was coming home from the doctor. He just had three stents put in. He had some uh, blockage in his arteries. Full of life, man. This guy, this guy had all kinds of life, all kinds of energy. And when I was talking to him on the phone, he told me, he said, man, I already feel better. I'm breathing better. I feel like I've, I've got some of this weight off of me. He said, uh, I'm, I'm going home. Can't wait to get home, this, that, and another. What he didn't realize was that he had five days left. And I was sitting back there in the little office, and the phone rang. And someone said, is this true? I said, oh, they asked me if he had passed. I said, no, 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 no. I said, that's not true. I said, I, I just spoke to him. A couple days ago, I said he did have a heart attack, but he was coming home from the hospital. He, he's good. Everything's good. The individual said, you may want to check again, Trent. So I grabbed my phone. I called Pooh's number. And it rang, and I heard someone answer it. And it was his son, Chris. I said, Chris, is Trent. He said, yeah, just like that, yeah. I said, what's going on? He said, well, Dad went to get some blood work this morning. Died in the doctor's office. Just fell unconscious and died. When, when I get up here every Sunday morning or whenever we're in here and we're opening God's Word, I want to share it in its whole. Because there's this great weight on me and fear that I war against, that I'm going to get a phone call from someone within this congregation or someone close to this congregation, and their life has ended, and I'm going to have to carry the weight. Was I clear enough? Was I concise enough? Did I not mince words up here enough? Was I clear enough? that their decision could be made with absolute truth and certainty. And so Sunday after Sunday, I come into this pulpit, Terry, and I understand the gravity of what I'm saying because our time is measured. And it is measured. It is measured by the same God that we are studying about this morning in Exodus chapter 9 who has declared the very the very claim that is made to Pharaoh to be coming the very next day. He possesses that within the palm of his hand. And he possesses your life. I kid you not. It is appointed, designated for every man, woman to die. To die. 
and then we'll stand before God, Reuben. This is a reality. And when we study the scripture, it's not just a story about Moses. As a matter of fact, it's less about Moses and it's more about this God. Tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. Now listen, that must have been a sleepless night, man. Right? Or it should have been. I mean, this would paralyze their military, right? No horses, no chariots. Right? Their whole religious culture would be suspended and paralyzed. There's no sacrifices to whatever deity they wanted to worship. It halts. The workforce of animals, which would lead to food and food supplies and, and water and, and everything that that accompanied would then be lost. You can imagine if you're Pharaoh and you have any humility in your being whatsoever, you would take advantage of this period of time that God has granted and given you to consider the choice you're about to make and the impact it's going to have not on just you, but on everyone. Man, you talk about sleepless in Seattle? I'm talking about sleepless in Egypt or should have been. And then the scripture says this. And this is the least shocking statement in all the scripture. And the next day the Lord did it. The next, he did what he said. He is not a man that he should lie. No one should be shocked when God does, Kevin, what he said he was going to do. I mean, I wish you didn't let me add some commentary into that part, part of the scripture. You know what I would add into that in parentheses? Duh. <laughs> Duh. Shocker. And the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. So Pharaoh investigated. I mean, he, he, he goes Sherlock Holmes on us. He goes from the palace of Egypt to Sherlock Holmes. And Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Now you can understand him doing some investigating, right? The massive destruction that had just taken place, surely Pharaoh was thinking that the loss would be felt throughout the land. I mean, I see it. This is devastation. Surely this type of devastation would be evenly distributed amongst the population. It'd be like dropping a, 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 a nuclear bomb in a city and, 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 and only women died or only men died or only Muslims died or only Hindus died. Or, I mean, if you saw something like that, I mean, it would open your eyes, wouldn't it? When there was a clear distinction, I mean, this cat comes out and he's investigating the situation and what he ends up finding isn't what he had probably hoped for. I believe what he had probably hoped for was to go out there and find a few uh, uh, Jewish cows down. You know what I'm talking about? A few feigning Jewish goats. You know, not, you know what I'm talking about. He probably went out there looking for that very thing. And, that, and the reason I know that is because we're like that. You know, we will spend more time investigating, resisting the call of God in our life. We'll spend more time and more energy investigating that than it would require just to do it. Because we're just bent against doing it, Right? Right? And so typically what we do, we go out there, man, we're looking for the out. You know what I'm talking We're looking for the exit strategy. God says, do this. Well, let's investigate this. Uh, it doesn't look quite, I find a little bit, uh, it, that, don't, that don't look right. That must not have been God. Let's do this. Hey, I told this story. I told this story 
I remember when I began to wrestle with some things with God as a young man, uh, Ronnie, and, and I remember, you know, I, I, I did a Gideon thing. Man, I was going to fleece God. You ever fleece God? Anybody here ever fleece God? You know what I'm talking about? Ask God for, you know, a, a solid sign. You ever done that? As a, well, I was a young believer. And I felt like God was calling me to preach. I was living in a housing project. Okay? And I, and I, and I was, and I, and I, remember, I did this. God is my witness this. I took a cup. I set it on the back porch. Warm summer night. I said, God, I want water in that cup when I wake up in the morning. I woke up in the morning. I never checked the weather. It rained at night. Now, it may have already been calling for rain. I was just too stupid to check the weather. All right? I go Gideon on him. I said, okay, God, I want, I'm leaving a cup out there. Water's in it. I want the water gone. I go out there, water's gone. Now, I don't know. Somebody could have kicked that cup over. It's sitting on the back porch. Somebody may have walked over and drank that water. My mom may have used that water to water a flower. And believe me, that was the reasoning that I had. And I was like, God, that ain't good enough. I need a talking donkey. No. You know, I was going to stretch this thing out there. I was like, no, I mean, God, God showed me with a level. I literally had to reject the truth. Now, I don't know how exactly it was really filled, whether the rain or whether I had, I just know it, it had water. I know it was empty the next day. I don't know how. But God did what I asked him to do, and I still resisted it because it wasn't the evidence I was looking for. I was hoping to go out there and the cup gone. And you're like that. You're like that. God says, support this missions outreach. God's moving on your heart. You know it. God's moving on your heart. Then you're opening your mail and then your bill's gone up. You say, oh no, that's God's showing me through his bill not to do that. I'm not going to do that. My electric bill's up this month. That's just enough investigating. Because what we tend to do is only investigate long enough to find what we need to discount the call of God. You know, we ain't going to go really deep. We're not going to really go into discovery, deep discovery mode. And so Pharaoh goes out and he's investigating. And he finds an outcome that wasn't really what he was wanting to do. And this is what the scripture says. Yet his heart was unyielding. And he would not let the people go. <laughs> mm -mm -mm. Ultimately, it isn't the evidence or the lack of it that dictates our actions, is it? No, I mean, because we really know, don't we? It is in our own hearts that decisions are made and we resist God. In light or in face of overwhelming evidence. We play ignorant. James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 says this. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. You know where that evil desire and that enticement originates? Within your heart. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And he would not let the people go. Sixth plague comes. We'll move quickly through this. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the sixth plague. This doesn't come with a warning. Remember, every third plague, God just does it. And you're just going to have to watch. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. Now listen, if you're Moses and Aaron and he's asking you to get soot out of a furnace, you don't have to understand what God is asking you to do. You're required to do it. If we had to understand everything that God has told us to do, we would do absolutely nothing. Take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. Now check this out. 
They go there. They're in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land and festering bulls will break out on the people and animals throughout the land. Now, I love the fact that he just says, go up. He, don't say anything, Pharaoh. This ain't a time to be, to be talking. This is a time to be walking. Just go up there, grab, grab the soot, man, throw that stuff in the air and let me work. Just do this. Don't mince words, don't, don't debate, don't just do this. And there's times in our lives when we must just do it. And this is what he says, And festering bulls will break out on the people and animals throughout the land. Now you're like, hold on, Trent, I just read that last plague. Stinking every animal died, didn't it? Right? Isn't that what you're thinking? You're thinking, well, I just read that. And, and basically every, every animal, every li- no, every livestock died. And he identified which animals it would be. And he, and he said horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats. Any other animal that didn't die in that plague was now suffering with festering bulls, just like every Egyptian was suffering with, listen, festering Listen, I'm, I'm going to make it. Can I give you a little revelation, a little inside look to Trent Evans and what, what he kind of watches from time to time? Educational, educational. I'll jump in and I'll watch some Dr. Pimple Popper. Okay, I know some of you just lost all your respect for me. Okay. Hey, it's on the Discovery Channel. You know what I'm talking about? I'm discovering some things, okay? And, hey, Frankie, you with me? Okay. Frankie's anointed. She can withstand the festering bulls that you sometimes see on that show. And I'm telling you, I've seen, I've seen some stuff on her make my skin crawl. You know what I'm talking about? I'll be watching with one eye. I'll be like, Ugh. You, know, you know, it'll turn me, carry, look at me, and I'll be twisting that chair. Like, but I watch it, I'm still like, I work my way through it. She'll pull out some device, some festering, whatever. Whack! Then all of a sudden your TV's gone, just poof. You know what I'm talking about. You're, you know, it's not, you, but you know, you know what it says, faster. You can see that. You can smell that. Listen, listen. Covered. When I say covered, I'm talking head to toe, man. Listen to what the scripture says their response to this is. Listen to this. It says, so they took the soot from the furnace, stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it in the air. And the festering bulls broke out on people and animals. Listen, to the extent the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the bulls that were on them and all the Egyptians. The implication is this. They were either too ashamed because they could do nothing to resist the hand of God or they were rendered completely incapacitated. And the bulls, the festering bulls that rest on the heels and the bottoms of their feet would not even allow them to stand before Moses and them. Can you imagine that? And then the scripture goes on and says this. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the bulls that were on them and on all their Egyptians. I, I, I kind of like this idea where their inadequacies to deal with the power of God are on full display. God exposes them, right? That's another shot into the system, religious system of Egypt. Funny thing about that, we're kind of like the magicians. Sometimes our inadequacies are on full display for everyone else to see, whether we realize it or not. We're never as high as we think we are. We're never doing as good as we are. We convince ourselves we are doing. And sometimes it's a fool. Listen, my shortcomings... I know are on full display. My inadequacies are on full display. I completely understand that. But I have given up on subscribing to this notion 
of building in myself this, this, this great sense of self-confidence that I can elevate to the highest rank or whatever else. I've completely abandoned the idea and the notion of achieving this uh, nirvana st uh, state of mind regarding my confidence in myself, which you see being promoted even within the construct of the church, being the best you kind of thing. I don't want to be the best. I don't want to be that self. I want to be God confident. You know what I'm talking about? I want to be God. I want to know what is the best of God. Because the one thing that I do know with certainty is what, what is the worst of me. There ain't a whole lot of improving of that, Jay, on my behalf. I can't do a lot with that. So what I need is God confidence. I need to know what can God do with this. And here they were completely exposed, covered with balls, head to toe. You think at this point, man, Pharaoh is going to see the light, right? Bending and breaking under the weight of Jehovah. Let me say this. If you're the Hebrews and this thing's fleshing itself out, Man, you've been in captivity for 400 years. You've been in Egypt for four. You've been indoctrinated, influenced, sucked into the culture. And then all of a sudden, all these things that you have been told by the elders of your community about this God of Abraham, over the last few weeks, for some strange reason, he has showed up. <laughs> you've never seen anything like this. And the bully, which is Pharaoh, is now being bullied by the God who is Jehovah. And if you're the Hebrew and you see this great God working on your behalf, this would be astounding. You see all their goats, their horses, their cattle, their livestock, their sheep, all that laid over. And you're just dancing around, hopping around, giving birth, still producing, still active. And if you're a Hebrew, you're like, That's what's happening. That's, what ha that's what's happening. Man, this great revelation is taking place within the life and the hearts of these people. Who is this God that we've been told so much about who loves us for no apparent reason, who has chosen us? And now he's flexing on our behalf. Let's close right here. It says this. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the bulls that were on them and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now you remember, you remember what that actually means. Remember that Kazakh? Remember we talked about it earlier? It means to strengthen, meaning basically he gives Pharaoh over to whatever his heart was already desiring. He basically reasserts Pharaoh's position. He strengthens his position that was already existent, residing within his heart. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. Now we're six plagues down and the cat's heart is still hardened. Six plagues into this thing. But the thing I've come to realize, and I watch it in people's lives, I watch for it in my life, Jay, and it's this. Hardened hearts just don't listen to God. Have you ever had that revelation by the Spirit of God and it it catches you off guard, Jeff. 
when God says to you, uh, Trent, you're not nearly as sensitive to me anymore. You're not as compassionate as you used to be. You're not as generous with your time and your energy. And man, under the weight of those declarations by God, John, there's times I realize he has struck at the root of a hardening in my person. And I am grateful because he breaks up that old fallow ground before it becomes too hard. Because if I allow it to become too hard, the next time he speaks, Reuben, I don't have an ear to hear it. But there's some things that I've noticed in my life that starts to creep in when my heart gets hard. I become critical. I get into, I'm going to fix everybody mode because I can recognize all your faults. That's what a hard heart does. It turns your eyes away from the hard heart that rests within you and you start to become critical and judgmental and fault-finding in every other person who is giving everything that they've got, even with their deficiencies, to pursue the master. And instead of coming alongside of them, lifting them up and encouraging them, a hard heart will allow you to come alongside of them and become a critical voice in their lives. If you're being critical, ask God if your heart's getting hard. And you understand what I mean by critical. There's times when I'll tell my son, you need to do this. You need to, you need to improve on this. You need to improve. That's not being critical. That's teaching. Critical can be discerned when you understand the motive behind the statement. I can say the exact same thing to you, and I can be teaching and loving, or I can be critical and judgmental. And it all rests in the motive within my heart, within my hard heart. And you know what's crazy about that? Is the individual listening hears that. And they know what's moving you. We become un unsympathetic towards other people. And then there's this situation where We just have a tendency to be able to find the bad in people. It becomes natural to us. It's not that you can't find the good in others. You just choose not to look for it. It's easier to find the bad. Finding the bad isn't as labor-intensive. It just kind of comes naturally to you. Hard heart also generates a me first mentality. You want to know whether or not you got a me first mentality? If you got a family, if you really want to know, and if they're really being honest with you, everyone else in your house knows you're a me first person, except you. And that's the truth. The only person you're hiding it from is yourself. That's what a hard heart to do for you, man. That's what a hard you. Me, me, me. And the other thing. When I say this, I'm, I'm, these are things in my life, I'm telling you, that I wrestle with. I wrestle with not being a me person, Kevin. 
When someone calls me, they need my time, they need my energy, they need my resources. Sometimes I have to break me to be able to give because the me rises up. And if I don't resist it, it'll rise up and rise up and rise up till it becomes a common staple in my life. I can become critical and want to fix everybody. The most broken of people here wanting to fix everyone else. Then the other thing, and this is the last thing, and I'm just being, I'm being really transparent, right? And you're, you're going to say, well, I'm going to ask Carrie about this stuff. <laughs> we become very discontent when our hearts are hardened. We're never satisfied. We're always looking for greener grass. Discontent where God has led us, what he has us doing, who we're married to, how our children are doing. Everyone has failed us. But I don't want to be that way. And I'm glad that I know what I know, Jane. It's not a proudful posture that I take. I know God loves me enough to strike that occasional blow to my ego, to my person, to strike that blow of discipline and love, to keep that old hardened heart, that ground broken up, from time to time, wow. And to be honest with you, Ben, there's times it's painful and it's humiliating. But you come out of it and you're like, thank God. Thank God. The prophet Ezekiel penned these words that we're closing with this scripture right here. Speaking of God to his people. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. Man, that's a hard heart, ain't it? I mean, it's rock. A heart, a heart of stone. I will, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws or my ways. Some of us this morning need a new heart, man. Some of us need a new heart. You know, a, a stony, hard heart is a heavy heart. It's heavy. And what God is wanting to do this morning for you and for me is a spiritual transplant, right? You know, the very first heart transplant, uh, I remember the, the first mechanical heart, plant, heart transplant, uh, Robert Schroeder, y'all remember him? The very first one, you know where it was done? At Jewish Hospital. 
But the doctors up there were not the first. <laughs> Transplant physicians working on behalf of a Jewish authority. And this morning, he's wanting to look at each and every one of us and say, ain't it enough carrying that? Hadn't it been heavy long enough? None of us want to leave here like Pharaoh, right? Seeing and hearing from God and literally not regarding the cost of our decisions and rejecting God while at the same time everyone around here, around him suffers. And that's what a hard heart does. Everyone else around you suffers. You don't want that. I don't want that. I'm going to ask Taylor if she'll come. Hey, this is the Driven Church family this morning. I don't know where you're at. Young. You know, Drew, you're just, Drew's married now. How old are you, Drew? 23? 23. 23, man. Young man, and he? I look out at Drew, and I think, Drew, you're just a kid. You're just starting. And I would look at Drew, a fine young man, and I would say, Drew, don't ever let your heart get hard. Don't ever let it get stony, rocky. Keep a tender heart, responsive to God and God's word and God's people. And the same thing I would say to him, Ricky, I would say to you, and I'd say to everyone in this sanctuary, for the sake of yourself and for the sake of your family, for the sake of your community, for the sake of your church, Allow God to give you that heart of flesh to transform your heart. That you would leave your conversations with God more in line with the purpose of God in your life and not resisting Him. So I'm just going to ask you to stand for a moment. We won't, we won't keep you longer. <laughs> We're not, we're not going to keep you any longer. With your heads bowed just for a minute, okay? Just for a minute. You remember what I said uh, at the beginning of the at the beginning of the message? Seems like it's been so long ago, right? When God addressed Pharaoh, and he said, Hey, Pharaoh, it's you. What I'm asking you to do right now isn't to consider where you're at with God through the prism of your marriage, through the prism of whether you're a mother or a father or a son or a daughter, through the prism of, of where you work. Or, or I want you to hear what God is saying. I want you to consider what God has said to you today from the perspective or prism of your own person, individually. Because your husband can't fix you, your wife can't fix you, your children can't fix you, your parents can't fix you. No one can go into that heart and change that. No one outside of you no other person can do that other than Jesus. And so, mom and dad, as individuals, as individuals, the husband, the wife, as individuals, What about you today? What about you today? You're going to leave here critical, unsympathetic, 
finding the worst in people, discontent. Is that you this morning? Is that how you're going to leave? Your heart hardened? Or are you going to come this morning, engage God in a conversation and say, God, I know I heard you say, it's me. It's me. Not them, it's me. And Lord, what I want you to do is deal with me. Are you willing to do that? Are you that brave to put yourself out there for God to respond to you? Now's your moment. Now's your moment. Would you come? Not to me, but to Him, but to God. He waits.